right, so uh, we've got some things to, to put in your hands this morning, and if you didn't get one, we've got a, uh, a little uh, booklet here and then some index cards and some writing sticks. If you need one, uh, let us know. And then for those of you online, uh, and actually you in the house here as well, if you don't already have it, you can go to the respective app store for your device, and if you'll search for an app called um, On Mission, I believe is what it's called, which is counterintuitive, but that's another conversation for somebody else. Life on Mission. You can download that to your phone, it's free, and it will mirror the material that we're using here today uh, at home. You can also uh, do a search if you wanna, if you're on your computer, you wanna do that, you can, you can do a search for three circles and that will take you to a website that has uh, all of this information as well. And uh, we're kicking off a series today, that it'll be a four-week series, on sharing the gospel, personal evangelism, sharing the story of Jesus in your life with the other people in your life. Uh, it's, the, it's the mandate of the church. It's a command for every believer to be ready to share with others the good news of what Jesus has done for you, of how you, how you were called to him, how he brought you to life when you, you were dead in your sin and he brought you to life, and how that has then made your life richer and how it has secured you for eternity, and that this is God's intention for all those who will hear. And so uh, I wanted to do this series here in the summer um, I'll, I'll give you a little inside baseball here, especially for those who are visiting with us, which, by the way, Luke 418 Fellowship from Mobile, Alabama, in the house today. God bless you. So great to have you here with us. Uh, our folks uh, who were here at the time will remember that they graciously brought me down last March. Uh, I think it was March. Time is fuzzy now. Do you, do you, do you feel that same thing? Like, I don't know. It's very fluid. But uh, it was a wonderful time together, and they were fantastic hosts. Pastor David is here uh, and uh, with his wife, and Pastor Randy is here with his wife, and then all of these other folks that have come along from that church. And you brought your families too, right? You bring other people along with you, little, little people, right? And, uh, and they're going to be working with GraceWorks all this week, but uh, we will also uh, have a chance to get together and talk about some future dreams and ideas of, of them partnering with us in ministry here in Alaska and us partnering with them, ministry in Alabama, New Orleans is one place that we talked about. You have a ministry that you're affiliated with there. And even uh, working overseas, uh, Randy's had a long history in Africa. Uh, and so a lot of opportunities there. But this is, this is, this is, an, this is a, a, a move that I think God put together to push Christ Community Church to its next place of ministry in our community and in our world. And that's why what we're going to talk about for these next four weeks is so critical, because as we join with others like Luke 418 Fellowship to minister in our community or in other places around the world, we have to be individually prepared to speak the good news of Jesus Christ. And so that's what we're going to be looking at today. Um, so, uh, if you've got those materials with you, that's great. Hang on to those. We'll get to those in just a minute. But let me first sort of preload this. Uh, we're going to start this morning with the emphasis on the first of these three circles. Uh, and we, we, have, we have a PowerPoint, friends at home, that I, you won't be able to see, unfortunately, I think. Uh, technology has vexed us this morning. 
And, uh, you know, that's how it is sometimes. So that's why you need to go online and find these so you can follow along. But the first of those circles is what's called God's design. And it's this idea out of scripture that God has made humanity for a purpose. And that purpose is to be in communion with him. To experience his presence in our lives, our daily lives, our, our, you know, the mundane details and facts of every day of what we live, as well as the more esoteric and internal and philosophical parts of who we really are on the inside. For him to be in communion with us about that and for us to be in communion with him. It's not a, it's not a one-sided relationship. It might be lopsided because obviously God's on one side of this equation and we're on the other. And I don't know about you, but I don't measure up quite to God, right? So we could say it might be lopsided in a lot of ways, but he desires for us to be in communion with him. And in order to do that, we need to understand God's design and how he built humanity for that purpose. And uh, some of the examples, there's uh, an idea about using things properly for the way that they're designed. And I think about this. I mentioned my dad last week, and uh, uh, he passed away here uh, about a year and a half ago. And it's funny because growing up, if you had asked me if my dad was handy, Connie, the answer would be no. That's my sister over there. Uh, the answer would be no. There were not a lot of tools in the garage. The tools that were in the garage were terrible tools in the garage, which made it very frustrating for those of us who were more handy to try and accomplish normal everyday tasks of repairing something or building something, things like that. But what's odd about that is in my dad's younger days, like he owned businesses where he did like handyman work. He was a plasterer uh, way back in the day, which is not something we in Alaska here see at all. I don't know if you guys still see it down in the south, but uh, you know, see it in the old movies where They've got the wall there, and they start to pick at the wall, and there's these little slats in the back. We don't have anything like that in Alaska. Nothing exists like that here. But you would take that plaster and layer it over that, and those slats would hold it into place. He did that. Like, he owned the company. Uh, after he passed away, we were going through some things, and I'd never seen one of these, but I found his business card that would have been from, like, I don't know, 1950, something like that. Uh, maybe 1955, I'm trying to think about how old he would have been. And here's his, he's still had a business card from his plastering business. But if you'd asked me when I was 15 years old, if I had any clue that my dad had done that kind of work, no. And what that resulted in was then when he did try to do some things around the house, he was using tools not designed for the task they were assigned to. Are you following me? I know, right? Uh, those of us who are who are tool people and take great pride in having the right tool to do the right job. Because using the wrong tool, using something in a way that it's not designed, can make the job so much harder, right? So uh, if you're trying, to, uh, uh, if you're trying to, to pry out some nails and all you have is a screwdriver, a flathead screwdriver, you can do it. It's gonna stink a lot. You want, you want the end of that hammer with the claw on it that you can pull it out. You can think of all kinds of other examples in that realm, but in your own mind, I wonder if you can extend that to other areas of your experience, your life, things that you've dealt with, ways in which you've watched others struggle to accomplish a task when they're, they're ill-equipped either because of their own skill set or 
the tools they have at hand, and they're not able to move and accomplish what they intend to do. Or maybe it's something in your own life that you can point to. And the reality is that when we start speaking in spiritual terms, our whole society, our culture, humanity, because of sin, has been broken and no longer functioning in the way that God designed us to be. And what that causes, it causes conflict between one another. It causes conflict between us and the world around us. It causes conflict between us and God because we're not functioning in the way we were designed to function. And to some degree, some degree that's not our fault because we've been given this burden of a sinful nature. But God has a way to deal with that, and we're going to get to that before we get to the end today. But uh, I want to tell you a couple of, couple of statistics. So in 2021, sorry, I've got to pick this up. In 2021, population of Anchorage was 288,000 people which was less than it had been for a number of years before. Now, we can all do the math on why that is, right? 2020 changed the landscape of so many different things. But it was the first time in several years, if not more than a decade, that the population of Anchorage and the population of Alaska actually decreased. Up until that time, from the late 60s to early 70s, when the oil boom started and, and the, the pipeline was built, Alaska was just on this steady growth path. Took a little bump in the mid-80s, late-80s. We had a, the complete just failure of our banking system in Alaska, and it was devastating to us, but not a bump like this. If you had asked me how many people live in, in Anchorage, Alaska, I would have said somewhere around 350,000 people. And that's just not the case. It has declined, but even so, what we know from, from years of survey type stuff, when we think about spiritual ideas, and we think about like people going to church, this number has not changed for as long as I can remember, other than it has also trended downward, this percentage, sits now somewhere between four and five percent. On any given Sunday, like today, you, you got up, got ready, decided, made your decision, whenever you made that decision that you're gonna come here and spend this time with us today, you are one of less than 5% of the population of the city of Anchorage. In any church. From our standpoint, from a Christian worldview, not just Christian churches, but any church. <clears throat> it's about 15,000 people in this city going to church on any given Sunday. Now that number <clears throat> flexes a little bit because, you know, when I was a kid, uh, regular church attendance was every Sunday, right? And that's, that's shifted and drifted with the pressures of life and the changes in culture where, uh, you know, once or twice a month, regular church attendance. But that number of people stays pretty static. That percentage stays pretty static over the time. And part of the things that are contributing to that is uh, Barna, which is a great research group here uh, about five years ago, four years ago, was doing a survey on why is, why is religion in America on the decline? And honestly, in one way, you could just say it's following the course of the rest of Western civilization. If we go across the pond to Europe, they hit these markers before we did because they're older than we are. 
America in terms of nations is still very young. But one of the answers to that was that there's a rising American worldview that's dominant among people that we talk to. And I, you'll see this if you start to have these gospel conversations, you'll experience this. And that is this idea of syncretism. And the, the root word there is sync, S-Y-N-C. And, and what lies underneath of that is that there's this growing belief that there can't be just a single truth. Right? Remember when I said earlier, we were singing that song, there's no other name given under heaven by which we must be saved but the name of Jesus. All right? We pair that with, with Jesus speaking in I, John 14. Right? Jesus said what, Jim? I am the way, now these are Jesus' words. He's speaking, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one, no one comes to the Father except through me. But syncretism says, I reject that. There must be other ways, and what it does even beyond that is it takes and says, you know what, I kind of like this belief over here in this religious system, and I like this one over here, but I don't like these that they have, and then I like this one that this religious system has, but I don't like these. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to blend them together. I'm going to synchronize them into belief and choose the things that I'm most comfortable with in those belief systems, and that will be my religious belief. And we see it usually phrased in, I'm a spiritual person, right? And I'm, I'm not being, I'm not down on people. This is the reality that we live in. And this is the reality that all of us struggle with at some point when we're trying to define our own Christian beliefs. Uh, you know, we've got some young people here today. You, if you grow up in the church, you grow up around Christianity, maybe you're even like me, you make a decision for Christ when you're young, and I believe God honors that, God accepts that, he, he receives us in. But I know very few people who then didn't at some point as they're growing come to some sort of faith crisis where they really had to decide what do they believe for themselves. Because I had my parents' faith and I had what I was taught, but at some point my, my mind matured to the point where I said, do I really buy this? Is this really truth for me or is it just what I've been told? And in that process we see more and more in America this adoption of syncretism, which is interesting because that then puts most of the people around us in a position of not adhering to any real singular truth, but that either, either there is no truth or that everything is truth and somehow trying to put it together. So when we go to share the gospel, that's the conversation we will very often be having is do we really believe that, that this faith in Christ is the truth, and how does that impact our lives? There was a, uh, the second one, so that was the primary syncretism. The secondary one was uh, this idea of kind of what they call therapeutic deism. And it's this idea that it's a belief in a God who is very distant from people. He's not active in our daily lives. He's not actually present or it or she, however they might want to, to, to phrase that in their mind. But instead, uh, the purpose of life is just universally to be happy, to find a way to be content, feel good about oneself. 
Uh, Jason talked here a few weeks ago about the importance of, of healthy self-esteem. It, it's actually, it's biblical because, and we're talking about that here in just a moment as well, about God's design and his creation. But that's not to the exclusion of understanding that we all have this problem of sin that has broken that design of communion with God, and there must be some way to resolve that, to reconcile that. And that's what God intends for us, and that's what we hope to communicate when we share these ideas from the three circles. Um, we, find, we find the the importance of this call to evangelism. We've talked about this many times here in this context, and I know you've heard it at Week 418 Fellowship. Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. It's what we call what? Right? The Great Commission. It's, it's, this, it's these marching orders given to the disciples who then go and give that instruction to the church in its earliest days as, as it's growing and, and building. Can we read this together? Jason, throw that up for me. Would you read this with me? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This, this isn't something just reserved for those standing around hearing. In fact, it wasn't just the disciples who were there when he said this. There was a great crowd around him who had now witnessed his bodily resurrection, that he was actually alive after they had seen him or heard that he had been crucified and placed in the tomb. Here now is Jesus resurrected. Hundreds of people are, are recorded. If you read the texts of the Gospels, hundreds and hundreds of people witnessed Jesus after he was crucified and placed in the tomb and, and bore witness to the fact that he was resurrected. And here is, is one of his final acts here before he ascends into heaven is to give these instructions to all of those gathered, which means it wasn't intended just for the disciples and those who would be, become called the apostles, who were the, the elders, the very first elders of the church as it began in the story of Acts and the, in that first century the church that now has become who we are today and as we worship. So it's not reserved just for them. It's for all of those believers who were standing there who witnessed his resurrection. And so this translates down to us today because what, what we say when we become followers of Christ is that we also affirm that Jesus is alive. We affirm. It's, it's in the old uh, the creeds that, that churches will recite. I believe in God the Father. I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit, three in one. Right? I believe in the virgin birth, I believe in, the, in his sacrifice, the crucifixion, and I believe in his resurrection. Those are, those are core components, those are key values that if we're going to say that we're a Christian, we believe those. And so we're giving the same witness today that those in the early church were giving, and they were giving them at the instruction of Jesus Christ. All believers are called to be faithful gospel witnesses to the place where we live and we work and we pray. And it can't be. Here's something. In my earliest days of ministry, we had uh, a lot of cultural shifts within the church. How to do church. And in, in my childhood, because we grew up in a Baptist environment, it looked very much like Sunday school, Sunday morning church. We had a thing called training union, right? Sunday night church and training union. 
was, was more like in-depth conversational Bible study type stuff, or uh, we had programs called Royal Ambassadors and uh, Girls in Action, and those were kind of, uh, don't get mad at me, diehard Southern Baptist if you're here. Those were kind of knockoffs of Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts, but with a Christian bent, and they were cool. Uh, I still get to see some of my Royal Ambassador leaders. I run into them around town every now and then when I was a kid, and they were leading those groups for me, and it was a lot of fun. And then we'd have like Wednesday night church and, and, and choir practice and then all kinds of other activities around that. But it was, in many ways, people thought, inwardly focused. And this movement began to happen in the, the early 80s, mid-80s, towards this model that you may have heard called a seeker church. And it became uh, the model behind this, and, and some did some great work and really brought some people to Christ. But it was, let's begin to speak the language of the culture so that maybe those who are outside the church will want to come inside the church. And I happened to be in ministry at the time these changes were happening. And there were good and bad about both of those structures. They, they fit within their cultural time space within history at the time. But one of the things that wasn't positive that I think we began to see the, the negative fruit of later is it became this idea that if you'll just get your lost friends to church, the preacher will share the gospel. Whereas in that older model, frankly, especially with Sunday school, we used to talk about how when people, we'd have a, an altar call at the end of the service where we'd sing a hymn and we'd invite people who'd made a decision for Christ to come and share it publicly. And that was the key. They had already made a decision to follow Christ and often that happened in Sunday school. Or it happened over coffee with a friend who then brought them to church and they were making this public expression. But somewhere along the way, this model changed to where we're going to give these great, awesome, exciting services and, and have drama and music, which, man, I'm totally down for. I love all that stuff. It was right in my wheelhouse. And then we're going to have a very gifted speaker speak and make an appeal for people to respond to the gospel. The negative fruit of that was, culturally across the church, people, you and I in the pews, in the seats, became less and less proficient at sharing our own personal stories of faith because we had a professional to do it for us. Hmm. Problem is that's extremely inefficient. Let's say, I mean, if, if we were in that model and we're not, how many people can I share the gospel with if I'm the only one sharing the gospel because I'm the, I'm the pro? It's my job. Think about the implications of that question. If we are not each prepared and willing to share the gospel whenever God opens the door for us to do that, how many people are just being excluded from the conversation? Because we're, we're limiting how often or how presently they might hear the gospel. This is why it's critical for us as individuals in this church to grab hold of the idea that we are witnesses to our community. It's not someone else's job to do. It's our job to do. 
And I can't even, I can't look at you, Phil, and say, well, it's your job to do. I can only look at you, Phil, and say, it's our job to do. It's our work to do. And at the end of the day, listen, I know it can be intimidating to talk to people about spiritual things. But Brian, you and I were talking to David earlier this morning, talking about how, you know, God rescued you. There's no other way to put it. There should be confidence in just being able to talk about what God has done for you because nobody can really argue with that, right? It's your story. It's, your, it, it's what happened to you. You're, a, you're an eyewitness to the work of God in your own life. And you should have confidence in being able to speak about that because it's your story. God placed each of us in this place for this time as outposts for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus' last words to his disciples was, was recorded in, in the first chapter of Acts. We talked through this here several months ago, where he told them, you will be my witnesses in your hometown, in your state, in your region, in your nation, and all around the world. And that mandate, that Prophecy hasn't changed for us today. We have to look at our neighborhoods, our jobs, our local grocery store, the coffee shop that we frequent every week, our community. These are our places to begin to share the gospel. And it's our responsibility. So if you've got those index cards, I want you to grab those. Grab the, the pen, and if you don't have one, maybe share with a neighbor if they need to. And it, there's no gotcha here. I just want you to take a moment, and we've done this before, and God has moved. I just want you to, to think about that card there and maybe write down one or two names of people that you know. Don't, now, don't race to this. Don't just pluck names but people you know that God moves you to be concerned about their salvation. That you look at their lives and you go, man, that is definitely not by God's design the way that that life is going. Because you've, you've seen the truth. I'm not saying you're perfect. The Lord knows I'm not, right? But my life has been changed by the work and power of Christ. I want to see that for my neighbor. It could be the barista at the coffee shop. It could be your next door neighbor. It could be somebody in your family. It could be your best friend, somebody at work, whatever. And this is, this is for you to put down something. Now, if you've already written, gather this with me. If you haven't, I want you to hear this. When we write these names down, what we're doing is we're, we're saying to God, I'm concerned about this person's spiritual well-being. Will you give me opportunity to share the gospel with them? You're making sort of a commitment here that if God opens the opportunity, you will share the good news because our homes have to be gospel outposts in our neighborhoods. Our desks have to be gospel outposts in our jobs. Standing in line in the grocery store. 
wherever it may be. Not will you create opportunities to share the gospel, but if, if God opens the door to a spiritual conversation, will you engage in it or will you walk away from it? So take just a moment. Don't you think about that? And then we'll take just a few more minutes. We're going to run through just a couple more things. And then we'll sing together to close out this morning. Amen? just another moment and I'll give you some instructions about that. All right, so uh, because we have Luke 4.18 with us here this morning, uh, maybe I'll take some counsel from Pastor David on how he would want to do this. But uh, C3K folks who've written those names down, um, I assume that you could remember those if you wrote them down. What we'd like to do is when you leave this morning, bring them and just place them on this table, place them face down. Because they're going to remind us to pray for your people. They're going to remind us to pray for those that, that you are burdened for. And Pastor David, I don't know if you would want to, to have your folks leave theirs here, if you'd like for them to take them home and you guys pray for them there. What, what do you think? All right, I like that. So uh, if you've put some names on those cards, and we're not going to go through and read them. This is between you and God. They're just a reminder to us. And uh, in the next week, we'll find a way to, to display them in a way that will be a reminder to us as we go through these weeks of praying for those folks that are on your heart. But will you do that this morning as you leave? Uh, maybe even during the last songs here as we worship, as an act of worship and prayer, bring them and just place them here on the table. And then we need to commit to one another that we will pray, that we will pray. Jason said we're a praying church, and we, and we really are. We have seen God do so many 
astounding, astonishing, miraculous things through the power of prayer over the, the decades that we've been together. Uh, we just tell story after story here of seeing God move and work in response to prayer. So we'll pray for those. All right, so now let's sort of get into the nuts and bolts. This is going to be the first circle in your book if you want to look in there. We're not going to go uh, far past that, although I'm going to tell you about the rest of it. But here's what, we, here's what we know. In the very beginning, Genesis chapter 1, we see God's design begin to take shape. Genesis chapter 1. Uh, actually, let's go back to Ecclesiastes. Did I give you that one, Jason? Yes, sir. All right, give me that one, please. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity. Man, listen to these words. He has put eternity into man's heart. Now, we talked last week about that, that word in the Greek uh, where it talked about man, but it's not the specific word for man. It's, it's mankind. This is, this is a similar thing happening in the Hebrew here, in man's heart. It's not, it's not just dudes. It's mankind's heart. Those humanity. He has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. Meaning that eternity is this idea of eternity and that we have a purpose more than just this mortal flesh and this, this, you know, this suit that we wear on earth. But we know that there's something greater, but it's so great that we can't contain it. We can't understand it. But God has designed us that way. And we see this in chapter uh, 1 of Genesis, right at the beginning, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then following this is the entire account of everything that he made. And we're so blessed to live here in Alaska. We walk right out the door and we're just we're smacked in the face by creation every time we step out the door. Yesterday, Karen and I were driving downtown and it was one of those days where you look, you hit that one spot on the Seward Highway and there's Denali, 400 miles away, big as can be. You're like, man. And from a Christian worldview, that makes me go, God is awesome. He made that. And guess what? He made you. And that's awesome too. He designed the world and everything in it. He created everything as it was meant to be. And this is what he said about it each time he did something new. He said, it is good. It is good. And then he created Humanity, the Bible says, in his image. The pinnacle of his creation. The only creation described as having the stamp, the imprint of God, a likeness of God that none of the other creation shares. And he called us very good. Verse uh, 31, I think it is, Jason. Let's go there. Did I give you that one? There it is. So this is, this is after all of the creation, including uh, the account of Adam and Eve being created, right? Man and woman. God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was what? Very good. Very good. And there was evening, and there was morning on the sixth day. So first, God has created us. He loves us, and he thinks it was very good. Second, God has designed for every 
aspect of our lives. Now, you can read through this for yourself if you'd like to. For, uh, Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 through Genesis 2, ch- uh, chapter 2, verse 24. Um, he talks about how he made male and female. He talks about families. He talks about our work life. He talks about when we're resting, when we're taking a break and a breather. He talks about marriage, relationships with one another. All of those things, he gives us a, a pattern for the design of our lives. So first, God created us, and he loves us, and he thought it was very good. Second, God has a design for every aspect of our lives. Three, God designed us for a relationship with him. So this is that first circle. If you were sharing this with someone and you didn't have the pamphlet, you didn't have the app, just get out a little napkin, a pen, first circle, God's design, and you talk about all these things that I just talked about. So you share your story, and then you share what God has to say about our story, God's design. He created us, and he loves us, and he said we were very good. He has a design for every aspect of our lives, and he has designed for us a relationship with him. He created us to have this unbroken communion with him. But the Bible tells us that sin, which is just disobedience to God, doing things that we know are wrong and choosing them anyway, knowing the truth of what God would have to say and doing something else, not knowing the truth of what God has to say, acting out in our lives, thinking in our lives, and then finding out what God has to say about the truth. When we become aware of our sinfulness, then we understand that our engagement in the design that God created for us has been broken. And that's where sin comes into play. So we have this God's design, and that's really where we're going to stop today, is that circle. We're going to get to the next one next week and what comes in between, but I'm going to highlight it for you right now. God's design, sin then becomes the problem. And here's what we know. This is, this is one of the easiest verses out of the Bible to share about sin, Romans 3.23. I mean, it's just a, it's a laser-focused, compact statement. If you know it, say it with me. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's not difficult to understand. All have sinned. Everybody's in the same boat. That means I'm no better than you and you're no better than me because we all have the same problem. And that problem is that sin has taken us away from God's design of having communion with him. Isaiah 59, 2 says that our sin has separated us from God so that he cannot hear us. So we have that circle. And then this arrow goes over to circle number two, which is brokenness. Sin leaves us broken. And I don't think it's hard for anybody to understand what brokenness looks like or feels like. It's pretty universal. But then, God provides a way for us to be restored. It's called repentance. In the most basic sense, repentance means to turn away from. That is, when you come to understand that something is, is wrong or something is not good, you turn around and you go in the other direction. There's a, a verse, Romans 12, 1. 
don't be conformed to this world, but instead be transformed by the renewing of your mind in Christ Jesus. Don't be conformed to this world, but instead be transformed by the renewing of your mind in Christ Jesus. He tells us this is really what repentance means. It's not simply that to make a, a physical decision to turn away from something, because that's just religious. That's just trying to do your own thing. What really happens in repentance is we, we understand our need. We understand that God had a design for us. We understand that it's been broken by sin and that we're all in the same place, but that God has a way to restore us, and the way he wants to restore us is that we, we receive him, we believe in him, we ask him to work in our lives and in our minds, and that transforming of our minds now, we become someone who used to think that this was okay, but we've learned now that it's a sin against God. And he changes the way we think about the way we think. And now I understand that that, that grieves the heart of God and that breaks my communion with him. And now I have a different understanding. That's true repentance. To no longer think about sin in the way that we used to. That's a work that comes from the inside out. Not something that we put on on the outside and just behave good. We can actually, you can actually become good through the power of Christ within you. And so that leads us then to communion, back to connection with God. That repairs that brokenness, that restores us to God's design. And then we know that in our lives, it just, it's this reason we call it three circles. These three circles just keep connecting with one another. Because the reality is, we're still not perfect and we still mess up. And so sometimes we break that communion. We come back, we get right with God, and we're restored. And that is the hope of the gospel. Now we're going to dig into those other two circles in the, in the coming weeks. But let me say this. If you are looking at that diagram in the pamphlet or, or whatever, you're looking at it online, and you see that completed diagram of circles... Where are you in that? Where do you fit? Where do you see yourself? If you find that you're in the brokenness part, is there anything that would keep you from repenting and believing in Christ right now? If you're a believer... Is there anything that would prevent you from, from, from digging deeper into this resource, this tool, and making it something you were familiar with that you could confidently share the gospel if the opportunity arises? Let me pray for us this morning. Father, I pray that uh, if there are those here this morning who need to hear the gospel, Lord, that we'll have deeper opportunity to share it in its, in its detail. But Lord, that trusting you, that you're able to work even in the simplicity of this, that, that God, intend, you intend for us to, to have a relationship with you. 
and our sin, which I've rarely found anybody who doesn't know what their sins are. Our sins break that relationship with you. And so, Lord, if there's anyone here this morning who, who is grasping that understanding in a new way this morning, and you're moving in their hearts, and they're saying, they're saying, I don't want to be broken anymore. I want to be restored. Lord, I pray that you'll, you'll save them right now. You'll rescue them right now. If that's you in this place this morning, it's no more complicated than crying out to God and saying, I believe. I'm ready, to, I'm ready to be different. I'm ready for you to change me from the inside out. I'm ready to believe in who Jesus said he was, in the, the power of his sacrifice and the crucifixion and the evidence of who he is and his resurrection. And I want that in my life. I want the power behind that in my own life that I might not be broken anymore. God, save me. And I will follow you. I don't want to embarrass anybody, but I'm just going to ask this morning, if anybody prayed that prayer, would you just lift your hand so I can pray for you? Nobody's going to come and embarrass you or point you out. I just want to, I just want to know so that I can pray for you. Thank you, Lord, for this time together. Now, Father, I pray for these believers here today, Lord, who have experienced, they've experienced what it means to be broken and to call out to you to be restored. Father, I pray that you will fill us with just a, a holy fire to share the good news of what you have done with those around us. Lord, I, I pray for these next three, four weeks that as we work our way through these ideas and principles and share scripture that, that, that speaks the gospel, Lord, I pray that you will speak into the hearts of everyone gathered here. Lord, and give them confidence in being able to share the gospel as well as, Lord, May your spirit reach out to those who still are seeking and do not yet know you, that they might be saved. Lord, thank you for your graciousness towards us, your goodness, your love, and your mercy poured out upon us. Lord, we love you. Thank you and praise you for every good thing. In Jesus' name, amen.